As we start this morning, let's turn to Acts 10. We're going to get back into the story today. And we have a very relevant passage to much of what's going on around the world. And I'm going to encourage you this morning that as we start talking through this, as we start discussing what the, the Scripture reveals to us, you're going to see the obvious parallels with what's happening in the world around us. I'm going to encourage you, I want you to connect on that level, but I don't want you to lose sight of what God does in the story. Does that make sense? Don't lose sight of what God does in the story in order that you might focus on all the tragedy that's around us in the world. Make the connection, connect the dots, but then look to the hope of Jesus Christ as we look back 2,000 years, could we really be that similar to those individuals who were part of the first church? Let's pray and ask the Lord to reveal to us what it is that God is doing. Father, this morning as we look into Your Word, I ask if You would not speak mightily. Father, this passage reflects the need to break centuries, if not millennia, of traditional thinking. Wayward thinking. Thinking that initially started out as purposeful and intentional between, between you and your nation Israel, and then it is distorted by men and used for men's advantage. Used in sinful manners. To the point where it requires your reset button for your number one leader of the early church. He who has eyes this morning, let him see. He who has ears, let him hear. All that God has. All that you have for us. And that the power and the message of the Gospel this morning and the power and the message of this early church would strike us as to how we can live in this current world with all of its troubles and all of its challenges. Holy Spirit, walk with us as we look into Your Word this morning. Amen. So, I have a statement for you today as we look at this concept that God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. How does this work in a world where we have partiality all over the place? How do we deal with all of this? Well, let me give you a couple quotes here. Number one, racism is given teeth when we choose to personify God. Before I give you the rest of the statement, stop. Think about this for a moment. What was just said? Racism is given teeth. It's given power. It's able to destroy. It's able to chew up. It's able to break down. When? When we choose, we make the choice to pretend to be God. There's a lot in there, isn't there? There's a lot to unpack, but let's keep looking at it. What blatant arrogance to value or devalue a person especially in relation to their ethnicity. Can I get an amen? Sin is at the root of all racism. Until we're ready to deal with sin, we will never extinguish racism. Do you believe that? 
That, my friends, is why we will always struggle with the challenge, not just of racism, but of all the challenges, all the difficulties that we face in our own lives and the lives of the world around us. So let's see what God did in the midst of the early church to reset the thinking of leadership. Well, before we get there, let me show you a little bit of, of where we're going. All right? If you think of a map of Israel, Israel actually, it's interesting, Israel is the size of Vermont. All right? A lot of people don't know that, but Israel is the size of Vermont. It, it takes about four hours to go from north to south, uh, maybe six hours to go north to south in, in, uh, in Israel. All right? And, and as you're dealing with it, this obviously, Caesarea, uh, it's kind of a Roman province in Palestine at the time of Christ, at the time of what's being established here. And so as you look at that, doesn't it look like a Roman city? Well, there's a reason, because Rome had established it, had built upon what was already there, and, uh, and that's where we find this individual Cornelius. We talked a little bit about him last week. He's a Roman centurion. That means he's a leader within the army. And he was an individual who feared God. Now this is pretty rare. You've got a Roman centurion who is following the God of the Jews. If you do a quick study, go and look at Josephus' works on the antiquities of the Jews or the wars of the Jews. And they started in 66 and 70, and that's when the temple was raised. Then in, in I think, 111, and then all the way to the Barcoba Revolt in uh, 133. And by that time, it was done. And there was this constant conflict. Constant conflict between Rome and the Jewish nation. So there's something interesting going on that a leader within the Roman army would be designated by the narrative, by the story, as a righteous man who feared God. Does your hinky meter start to peak a little bit? It should. Right? So here's Cornelius, and he's in this region. He's over a hundred men. And he's based out of Caesarea. And here it, here it comes, shameless plug, if you go with us to Israel, you will be here. I actually forgot my prop. I'll, I'll have to bring it out next week. But this is an artist rendition. You're saying, Pastor Jeremy, that's really nice. You get this artist rendition. We don't know that it really looked like that. Well, a plane is flying over that region in the, I think it was the late 60s. Um, and he saw some weird formations under sand. When you see weird formations under sand in Israel, you immediately cordon off the area and they start digging. And this is what they found. See the theater here and there, and you see the natural harbor. And this area right here, I told you last week, wasn't even uncovered the first time I went over in 98. This was just sand right here. Now when you go out there, and, and when our, our, uh, our uh, uh, trip went in 2009, this is what's considered kind of like a, uh, well, they would call it the circus in, in, uh, in Rome. And it's where would they, they would have chariot races. They would have games. You talk about some great real estate, right? Oceanfront view, nice cool breezes coming off the Mediterranean. And, and all along this wall were, were luxury suites. You could get nachos. You had your own, per, you had your own personal uh, attendant. You really did have your own personal attendant that would serve you. And right in the middle of that wall, you can see what's called the prima seat or the bema seat. That sounds familiar to some of you. The bema seat 
would be right here, and that would be for the Tetrarch. That would be for the leader, the Roman leader of that area to observe the games. All of this unpacks as, as you go over there and you see it. So this is the, the place where Cornelius was. Now you might want to think, okay, did they have a Home Depot back then where you could do some upgrades on your house? Are you all aware how, how uh, narcissistic we are as a society? Home Depot stock is booming. My wife and I had to go there not because we're doing remodels, but because we've got flooding, okay, from a washing machine that went awry. So we had to go get a new washing machine, and the place is just packed. We're there at 9.30 on a Friday night. Nobody's out, especially at 113 degrees. By the way, welcome to the cooling trend. It's 101 today. So glad you came. I, I think the fact that we have air conditioning upped our attendance today. That's, that's really good. Keep letting people know that. But in Caesarea... This was a, it was a city that was cosmopolitan. It was an upgraded city. And so what you have are uh, mosaics, incredible. All this was sitting under sand. And by the way, I've stood right on this mosaic. They, you know, if something's 60 years old and the EPA deems it as an endangered species or something, you know, you can't walk on sand dunes here in California. Um, they let you just walk on this. It's incredible. And so all of this was developed in the past 10 years. Um, this was a bathhouse, and it's marble. I don't know if you can see the decorative marble that's all here. All cut, all laid. Rich, you'd love it. This is what Rich does for his job. Now, what I've got in my office is before all of this was reconstructed and figured out, we were walking around out there, and we were in the, park, the parking lot. I just want you to be very aware. We were in the parking lot, and I saw this. So there's this little piece of marble, and it's perfectly cut like a square. And I'm like, what's that doing here? Because this was prior to any of this being uncovered. And I just, I turned to my tour guide, I said, hey, look at this, what do you think? And, and it's perfectly, you know, perfectly thin this way. It's cut, it's this cut piece of tile. And I said, this is sitting in a pile over here. He goes, yeah, 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 they ex excavate that stuff all the time, it's going in the trash. I'm like, are you kidding me? Can I take this? He goes, oh, yeah, sure, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Take it. Okay, so just for the record, IDF, the guy's name is Mickey. He was a guide from 2000 to 2003 and with Rehobo Tours. I, I just want you, I'm off the hook. So this gives you an idea of the background and the setting of where the first Gentile church took place, all right, as we get into this story. So we've already seen in the first part of Acts 10 where Cornelius is a devout man, he's a God-fearing man, he's an Italian, he's a Roman centurion, and this could be the, the reason that we have the church plant in Rome, right? Is that this is the first individual we see from Rome that God is working in their life and drawing the seeker to himself. And as he does so, he still doesn't know the gospel. And so God gives him a vision. And we see the vision as we open up the page here. Before we get there, I want to speak to this issue of why do we have this challenge of racism. I think we all know that there is a worldwide problem with this. There's a historical problem with this. And 
we can even study from a sociological, not a theological, but a sociological element that speaks to this idea that usually it's pride, fear, or selfishness. And when you think of the genocides that have happened worldwide, those three components are always there. They're always there. What about the idea of judging? Isn't racism at its root judging people? Well, here's the challenge with judging, is that we always judge. We always judge. Wait a minute, what do you mean, Pastor? I just want to clarify that it's not wrong for us to judge. If you're not, you judged whether or not to come here this morning. You judged correctly. I just want to let you know that. Some of you have already judged what I'm wearing. Some of you uh, have judged whether it's too cold or too hot in this room this morning. This is part of our process day in, day out, right? So it's not that judging, let's just not fear the word judging. Society has stolen a word from you. By the way, a great synonym to the word judging is, watch this, careful, this is an acceptable term, discernment. All right? See, that's the positive way to say that you're judging something or someone. Oh, no, I'm not judging you. I'm discerning that you're an idiot. No, I'm just... (laughs) So, some of what happens when we get into this idea of judging, how many of you have chosen a car over a different car that you didn't like, right? How many of you have ever gotten into a a nice warmed-up discussion with your spouse when it came to, uh, you know, choosing that car? Um, I like to watch, just for no reason at all, other than to escape to other parts of the world, this thing, I don't even know what channel it's on, but it's it's, uh, International House Hunters, but the, the Lake Edition. Because in my mind, I just go to this isolated cabin that they're showing, and I'm trying to find this perfect dream place, right? And we're watching one the other day, and uh, they set you up, right? Because they get the two spouses fighting over three choices. No, I think, I think what's wise. And so there's this husband and wife, and they're, they're at Lake Como in Italy, like an hour out of um, Milan, and the guy keeps saying, yeah, but if we go with the one you want, which has these great views, right? I have to travel an hour and a half one way. Yeah, but did you see those views? <laughs> did you see the views? Right? We judge things all the time. It's called discernment when it makes sense. Last night I was watching a baseball game. How many of you have ever done this on TV, right? And the umpire, you're like, did you blink? Did, did you sneeze? How did you not call that a strike? You know, I can do that from my chair all I want. It's not changing the game. But we do that when it comes to people and it comes to only the things God should be able to value, right? Is that not the perfect picture of how this is working and how it's destructive? Is we think that our voice matters when it comes to the value of people. And somewhere along the line, we have distorted God's view of people. Case in point, Exhibit A, the Crusades. Folks, we talk about the Crusades like it's just a part of history. You use the word crusade around the world in a positive term, and you will be scrutinized in ways that you never understood. You see, the Crusades, from certain points of view, 
was the people of God, the people of Jesus Christ, saying we are coming to do genocide against you just because we don't like your religion. That's what we're going to kill in the name of. We're going to kill in the name of religion. How many times does that happen in the name of Jesus Christ? We have distorted discernment. Sin is at the root of all racism. Let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about the plight of the Chinese? Do you even know what I'm talking about? How about the Indian caste system? How many of you are familiar with that? What's going on over in, and, and has been for millennia? Recently, someone came to me with some, uh, an individual that was really, really struggling, was thinking about taking their own life, and they were looking for help, but they didn't speak English very good, so I kind of handed this off to someone who spoke Spanish and was reminded that just because you speak Spanish, that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be a barrier there. Are you aware that if you have someone who's from Honduras and you have someone from Mexico, sometimes you have problems. Isn't that a mind blower? That even, even within that community, there's racism. Where you're judged because of where you're from and judged negatively. When I mention the plight of the Chinese, and I'll just play my card at this point, usually in America when we talk about the injustices of racism, it's usually connected to African-Americans. And I love it when I hear from activists that they want to uphold. And by the way, let's just get this straight. Of course, African-Americans were treated poorly. Absolutely. Are we all, are, are we all in agreement on that? <laughs> Hopefully. Otherwise, we're going to do a counseling session. My question is, how can we never hear about the injustices done against the Chinese whose slave labor built our railroads. Next time you're riding the train, I want you to think about that. How come it's really popular for us to bring up the issue of sex trafficking and to be so concerned about the helpless with children, right? You want to know how to fix sex trafficking? It's real simple. On the evening news, which is laughable anyway and pointless anyway, Post the pictures of the individuals that get caught doing this. If you really want to stop sex trafficking, you do that. Amen? But you know what? We won't. And you know why. That's right. So we've got a problem. Before I get too in-depth on this, I want to take you to the end game. Revelation 15.4 you, you need to be reminded of what God's point is here. What is the end game? We studied heaven, earth, and hell a few weeks ago. And I want you to hear the end game. This is what is going to happen. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways. O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify Your name. For You alone are holy. All nations will come and worship You. For Your righteous acts have been revealed. 
This is related and this is seen as part of the visions in Revelation, which is future thinking. This is going to be stated about the end of our time, our dispensation as how the world works now. But do you know that that statement comes from a prophetic word from the Old Testament? And that gets us into this point. So what do we do with all this? Because there are so many individuals who wrongly have looked at Scripture at, at the Old Testament and said God was a selective God. When you look at the God of the Old Testament, you've got some problems. Well, let's look and see what does the Bible say about God's view of partiality. Doesn't the Old Testament promote God's approval of one race? Fair question, right? How many of you have ever heard this as a criticism of Christianity? I've heard it. I've heard it. The nations that God didn't want, He just annihilated. He chose one nation. That's racism. You've got a racist God. Hmm. I have a real quick question. Uh, I have this gentleman, Luke, right back here. He's a handsome guy um, and brilliant all at the same time. Uh, Luke, how many wives did you choose? Good for you. Uh, just for the record, he said one. But isn't that like, aren't you judging all the other women out there when you chose only Melody? <laughs> He's like, I'm not coming back to church anymore. Dude, why are you doing this to me? Let me answer that for you, brother. Of course you did. You did. Of course, when we choose that one person, we're saying no to all these others. We call that discernment. And we live in that world day in, day out. So let's not hyper-distort when God does this for purposes for all mankind. You see, the issue of looking at the Old Testament God is understanding that God's plan of redemption has always been available for all people. How can you say that, Pastor, when He chose Israel to be His people? Watch this. He chose to covenant through one people. By the way, do you know Abraham who was the beginning of that covenant? Do you know Abraham's lineage? He wasn't Jewish. He came from where Assyria was. Babylon. So on and so forth. He's Semitic. And yet you have all this challenge just between Sunnis and Shia. They will utterly destroy each other because they're Sunni or Shia. Racism comes in all different kinds of forms. But God chose to covenant with a particular group of people and work with one group of people. Why? I don't know. He doesn't say why. But that doesn't mean He excluded all other people. Have you ever chosen to demonstrate what marriage looks like because you're doing that with one person? Sure, I can look to Luke and Melody's marriage and be inspired. Right? There are things that, that I would go to Luke and I would, I would take his encouragement and I would seek, and he's not, he's not going to walk up to me and say, well, no, I don't want to give away my trade secrets to marriage, man. It's just between me and Melody. Right? Why else do we know that God's covenant with Israel was just a standard to the surrounding nations? Why do we know this? The choice to follow God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was extended and accepted by many throughout the Old Testament. Like who? Well, 
let's look at what happened to Egypt because of Joseph. Right? The grace of God was extended to Egypt because of Joseph. Uh, Potiphar and, and Pharaoh learned of the God of Joseph. Now in the end, things changed. But think about Assyria benefiting from Jonah's redemptive act. Folks, Assyria, not a good people. Not at the time of Jonah. And one time, I had the pleasure of going to the British Museum at, at one point, and I'm, I'm in the British Museum, and there is a relief of the gates of Assyria, and I had read about this. It was shocking to see it. It wasn't real, because <laughs> this would be really gross if it was. But here's how the leader of Assyria at the time of Jonah dealt with life. He got wind of a potential coup. So he took one of his generals and the entire company underneath those generals, and he had them bronzed into the entrance of the gate to send a message. Oh, uh, Jonah, I want you to go to the Assyrians <laughs> and tell them about the love of Jesus, or, or I want to, about God. Now you know why he ran the other way? But think about that. If we're saying that God is just selective to only the Israelites, no, he's not. And what was the end of that story? The king of Assyria in, in this book of Jonah ripped his clothes and put sackcloth on. It's a demonstration of repentance. How long that lasted? I don't know. But the point is that God reached out to other nations through his people. Do you see that? Rahab, in the midst of the destruction of Jericho, anyone who feared God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was given an opportunity for redemption. And that's where we find ourselves with Cornelius. Because Cornelius feared God. Lastly, God's plan in the New Testament was to the Jew first, then to the Greek. Why would it be? That sounds like selection. That sounds like preference. If you have covenant with a people and you have a plan of redemption, sometimes it has to start and think about this concept. Sometimes it has to start with the ones who are worst and need the most work. When I stepped into new coaching opportunities, some of my players that I would spend individual time with at the beginning of every season weren't my star players. They were the ones that were struggling the most. And I think that's part of the reference to the Jew first and then to the Greek and then to the entire world. So as we build this idea, what does the Bible say about God's view of partiality, you're going to hear the statement by Peter coming up. Let's look at the passage this morning. Now we, we don't have time to get into all the passage, but it starts out with this idea in verse 9 that individuals that Cornelius, going back to verses 1 through 8, Cornelius has a vision from an angel. He's told to send people to Joppa, where Peter is staying and residing with someone named Simon the Tanner. And so Cornelius does this. He sends an entourage. We don't know if they're soldiers. We don't know if they're Jews. We don't know who it is. But it says this, picking up in verse 9, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. 
Now, Peter, remember I told you last week that there's this essence that we know within Islam, they have these five different days to pray. Remember I told you that usually when you saw a reference in Scripture that says the sixth hour or the ninth hour or so forth and so on, it usually related to prayer as well for Jews. They had the same system of prayer. They would pray multiple times throughout the day. What's happening here? It's the sixth hour, Peter goes up for prayers. He's following in his traditions. He's locked into his traditions. See, we're going to pray at the sixth hour. So he goes up and what happens? Well, God starts speaking to him. God gives him a direct and specific revelation in a vision. And we won't get into this, this idea of exactly what the vision is, but let's look at this uh, starting in verse 11. It's on your screens there. And, and let me go ahead and read. Uh, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, I'm vegan. Please don't make... No, it doesn't say that. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. Because Peter's just that way, right? Boy, that guy's a slow learner. God is so patient with us. Amen? And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened how many times? Three. Peter's just locked into that number three. He just is. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Wow, let's look at some key ideas here. First of all, verse 12, it says, In it, in the vision, were all kinds of animals. I want you to focus on this word, all. I was invited back to a conference with the EFCA two years ago on the East Coast called All Peoples. And the reason we were invited is because apparently we're one of the few multi-ethnic churches. And so that apparently made me an expert on the subject. And I got into the room, and it's just like, I think it's like 40 people from all over the United States that are supposed to be the, the brain trust of setting forth the direction for the free church on how to be multi-ethnic churches. And I just raised my hand after about an hour, and I said, uh, guys, I don't know anything. You know, we just are who we are, so I'm taking notes from y'all. You're going to see up here in a moment an example of that. All kinds of animals. God's working overtime to correct some bad thinking. A change in thinking had to happen for God's number one leader. Right? Leaders are supposed to have it all figured out. But this is a dynamic time. Things are changing. And it's bristling against tradition and what I'm used to and what I like and what I'm comfortable with. And Jesus says, or God says, I'm going to teach you to change your thinking. So look, also, it says common or unclean. I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Do you see the racism here? That is how a Jew thought about a Gentile. Just so I can clarify, a Gentile is anybody who's not Jewish. All right, they just went for broke. Lumped all the nations into it. Okay? And he sees this and he's calling it common or unclean. 
Is that how we operate in society? Men in the room, if you have daughters and you think you're not racist, just wait till you figure out who she's going to date. By the way, if you're a daughter of one of those men in the room, yes, your dad gets to determine who you date. Okay? It's ex-cathedra. I just want to clarify that. We all have those challenges. We all have those things, those moments where we are constantly saying what's common, what's unclean. And this is Peter's problem. His thinking needs to change. And so what does God say? What God has made clean, do not call common. Amen? What God has made clean, do not call common. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, any man can be clean. Any woman, any child can be clean. And Peter needed to change his thinking. And what is God doing? Well, let's look at the next point. God goes to great lengths to correct some thinking. He's having specific revelation, not only to the individual that needs to hear the Gospel, who's seeking God, but now God is now giving specific revelation to totally turn up Peter's understanding, ideas, traditions, all of it, and turn it over and say, Peter, get ready. It's going to change whether you like it or not. Well, I'll just go to another church, Jesus. Ouch. (laughs) So let's fast forward to these three verses, starting in verse 30. So what's happened is that the individuals have come to Peter's house. They've told him about Cornelius. They sit down with him. They talk about it. Peter talks about the vision that he's had. He's still really confused about the whole thing. Verse 17 says, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out, and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. I'm up on the roof. I'm trying to figure out what this vision is. What is going on? Have you ever been there? God's speaking to you, whether it's, it's through uh, a passage of Scripture or through your own prayers. And, and He hits you. He hits you with an outside uh, cutter fastball and you weren't expecting it. Right? Maybe an off-speed pitch. And you're like, what was that? You always go four-seamer fastball. What was that? And you're sitting there and you're just like perplexed. Watch it on baseball sometime. When, when the guy is like, some of you who are visiting today, you're like, is that guy obsessed with baseball? Yes, because my team made two brilliant trades this week, so I'm back into it. <laughs> but you, thank you, brother. So you can watch the batter. He steps out and he's, you know, he's looking like, you know, he's looking tough. But, you know, they're doing all this stuff with their batting gloves, right? You know what he's doing? He's like, what was that? That wasn't on the scouting report. Okay, I'm going to have to adjust. Yeah. Because Jesus is bringing the high heat right now. And in the very moment that he's perplexed, is there a Peter around here? We're looking for a Peter. Folks, when you are seeking God or when God is seeking to change something in you, he will be faithful to provide that answer. It may not be as immediate as this story projects, but it will come. It will come. So what happens in verse 30? God goes to great lengths. Let's go there. And Cornelius, so now what they've done is these gentlemen have explained to Peter and Peter 
uh, leaves with them, and he gets to Cornelius' house, and he's uh, speaking to Cornelius, and he says, look, I, I was just minding my own business, and, and these guys came, and, and so now I'm here, and why did you send for me? Here's Cornelius' response. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. This was an angel. And said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once. And you have been kind enough to come. Here's the kicker. Cornelius understood why Peter had to come. This all seems really weird. But think about it. You receive a vision from an angel and you're really freaked out about the angel anyway, but you follow through with this because you've been praying for the answers. And all of a sudden, the guy shows up on your door and you're thinking, this is real. And so Cornelius knew exactly what needed to happen and he states it right here. He says, so when I sent for you, I came... I'm sorry, let me go back down verse 33. So I sent for you at once. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. You see, the unclean knows that God is at work, that God is going to great lengths to answer their prayers, to give and to reveal to them what it is they need to know in order to know Jesus. And what happens? The unclean says, speak! Because I know that God has told you what to say. I'm waiting to hear it. To what great lengths is God reaching out to you? To what great lengths is God trying to change some of your thinking? How is your prayer life in context to understanding the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's look at this real quickly. God goes to great lengths. Well, here, here are the passages. Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. And then the emphasis, now therefore we are all, here's that word again, we are all here. Preach it. Preach it. Whatever it is that God told you, preach it. We've been waiting for this. Here it is. Jesus is Lord of the few. Right? Jesus is Lord of the select. Jesus is Lord of who? All. Jesus is Lord of all. And I don't have uh, the time to really get into the depths of what happens here, but bottom line, Peter preaches the Gospel. He preaches the Gospel, and the verse I want you to see is verse 43. Let's look at it together. To Him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. My most important question to you today is this. You are part of the all. You are part of the all. Let's focus on two words. Number one, all of the prophets Peter had already learned. He has had to break down all of his teaching by the prophets. He has had to break down all of that, had to rethink it. And all of a sudden it comes to him and it's like, it wasn't about the selectness of, of Israel of the Jewish people being the only ones to benefit, somehow I distorted the, the discernment and I bought the, the narrative hook, line, and sinker. But now that I think about it, written into all of these prophecies in the Old Testament was the redemption of mankind. 
That message just came through the Jewish people. So what does Peter say? You see a reflection of his thinking already having changed. Isn't that amazing? You know, it's 36 miles of walking from Joppa to Caesarea. He had a lot of time to think. And who were his travel mates? Well, he had some of his buddies. He had some of his posse. But he also had some of Cornelius' guys. Who knows what they talked about on that road. But somewhere in that span, Peter's thinking changed. And he came to the understanding that all of the prophets have predicted this very thing. We just distorted it. And what does he say? For the few who believe. For the select who believe. No, everyone. For everyone who believes. The caveat, the qualifier is not people. It's not your ethnic history. It is your faith. So I say to you this morning off of Peter's words, have you received His gift of salvation that is offered to everyone without discretion? And do you trust in His name, the very name that gives life, eternal life? This message of the Gospel that Peter proclaims to a group of Gentiles gathered in Cornelius' house there in Caesarea with all the nice marble floors, right? And Peter's preaching this and he's saying, how can this be? How can this be? But I see what's happening and so I'm just going to preach the Gospel and what's going to happen? Well, it's amazing. You will receive power. Does that ring a bell for you? you will receive power? Where have you heard that before? Jesus' last words. His commandment as to all that's going to unfurl. How is the new church going to be fashioned? It's going to be fashioned by all nations. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem to the Jew. Judea, Samaria, and if that's okay, you guys can just stop there. No. To the entire world. And this moment, in the living room with marble floors and mosaics, Peter preaches the Gospel to the Italian nation. And what happened? The verification happened. You know what's beautiful about this moment? You see, they didn't have a formal stage. Peter was just preaching, and there would have been the sounds of babies in the room. Very real. Very real. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were what? Amazed. We... This doesn't fit who we were. Oh, that's right. Because Jesus has started a new thing. And there's no longer just the select covenant with the Jews. Now, my grace is offered freely and openly to all on an equal level. It doesn't just come through you, Peter. And so while I'm reaching out to open up the nations with the Gospel, I'm going to teach you at the same time, Peter. I'm going to correct your thinking at the same time. 
And by the way, it's going to be irrefutable. You're not going to be able to debate it in the seminaries around Palestine. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come out with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter couldn't challenge it. God taught him. God taught him. This morning as we think about what Peter had to wrestle with, God had to conquer conquer Jesus and the Holy Spirit had to conquer over millennia of distorted thinking. And for his number one boy, Peter, he did it over the span of three days. Really culminating in one moment that Peter could not argue. By the way, his last statement, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? That's not the last verse. Let me read the last verse for you. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. To go from questioning or maybe even refusing to moving into thinking that says, it is obvious God is with you. It is obvious that you are not common. It is obvious that you share the same in God's eyes as I do. So much so, I cannot refute it because the Holy Spirit has fallen upon you. And therefore, as God's chosen man, I have to recognize my thinking was bad. And in one moment, not only do I have to say, well, I guess. No, he doesn't say, it's no passive voice. Peter says, this is real. And I accept you as my brothers and sisters. And I command you to be baptized. What is the most beautiful statement? That's probably the most beautiful statement in the passage. But in relation to this other part, that we have to wrestle with today, what does it say? Listen to these words. Listen to the result of God's work through His people. Then they asked Him to remain for some days. Oh, if we could have people in Charlottesville or across America or around the world turn to their enemies and see one another as God sees them. And that the Spirit of God would rest upon both. And that they would say, let's remain together for some days. Brothers and sisters, it's my privilege to say that does happen. Incredible action where you change the thinking of Peter, but you put this indelible sign of your approval upon the Gentiles with the giving of the Holy Spirit upon Cornelius and his house. Speak boldly in our lives, Father. To you be all glory. Amen.